Hello, and welcome back, or welcome for the first time, to Playtime. My name is Andrew Barnett. I am a child therapist who lives and works in beautiful Asheville, North Carolina, and this is a podcast dedicated to play therapy, child therapy, and children coming at all of those things from a child-centered perspective. And just a heads up, I said I would be putting these out a little bit more often, but got the opportunity to be on another podcast for a little bit. I'll be doing some episodes with my friend Papillon DeBoer on his podcast called Am I Broken? Survivor Stories, and the podcast we'll be doing are on working with people, um, males particularly, who have child sexual abuse, and so it's not a podcast for the faint of heart. Most of the other episodes on that podcast are stories of individuals who have struggled with that and what their healing journey has looked like. So worth checking out. Um, There are some brave and inspiring individuals on that podcast, but a word to the wise that it is not easy listening by any means. But let's get back to this podcast, Playtime, which will be a little bit less frequent this month, and then I hope to get back into the swing of things in June. And the topic for today is emotional respiration. And by emotional respiration, what I mean is that I aim to, let's say, challenge the notion that the goal for any individual, for any child in therapy, or for any individual period, that the goal of emotional equilibrium, the goal of maintaining a balance throughout all of life, particularly for children, is unrealistic. And just as we have a respiration process inside of ourselves physiologically for getting oxygen into our bodies and keeping our blood flowing and keeping us alive, I think that there are some parallels that we can draw with the emotional respiration process and what that looks like. And how I see an emotional respiration process going is that let's take the inhale, for example. You're inhaling into yourself the world, the people around you. You're receptive to other things in your environment, part of how we create our identity and part of how we find our place in things and part of how we stay connected is being receptive to others, is being receptive to our environments and how our environments are doing, and taking that into ourselves and allowing that to become part of ourselves. We create a space there where we are not injecting our will into the world, but rather we are receiving what's around us and we are recognizing and empathizing and connecting with what is around us. And that would be the inhale of the world into the self, and the exhale would be the exhaling of ourself into the world, our will, our wants, our likes, our dislikes, what we're trying to create, what relationships we want, our own emotions to allow others to witness them and inhale those emotions. There's a process there of taking in the world and then putting out ourselves, taking in the world and putting out ourselves, and from my vantage point, that is a flow that can be very 
natural for many of us, or I can relate strongly to the idea of, okay, there are times when I'm putting my will into the world, when I feel like I have something to say to someone, or I feel like I have something to share with someone, or there's something that I'm trying to create, and there's that movement, that exhale outwards into the world. But then that needs to be followed by an inhale. I can start to close in on myself if I am not open to what's around me. I can get locked into my own ideas. I can get locked into my own image of things. There needs to be a space again there at some point to allow other things in, to allow other people's feelings in and ideas in and the environment in and to make space for other things inside of myself even, that there's a need to reconnect after the will has established itself and then the breathing back in, breathing back in the world. But that can be very overwhelming if there's not then the space to then have the will of the self go out again, that we can get caught in either kind of space in this emotional respiration process where we're either willing ourselves too much into the world and not being receptive again to ourselves or what's in our environment, and then on the opposite end, to be taking so much in, to be feeling overwhelmed by the world and not having the ego strength and ability to force our will back out again and begin that process again. That I think for each of us, perhaps, if I'm articulating this process in a way that makes sense, that there are different places that we all can get caught inside of that emotional respiration process. One place where I see children often getting caught in that process, and we'll start with the exhale, is a child who is asserting their will into the world. They're in that exhalation process. They're very connected to their yes and their no and what they want and what they don't want. But there's not that circulation back into the self of the world, or there's not that circulation even of other feelings inside of the self excuse me, other feelings inside of the self into the self. The self ends up being in a aggressive and defensive stance that feels kind of locked in, that there's not actually a respiration process happening at that point. The child in question is simply in this stance towards the environment that is aggressive, defensive, maybe suspicious of authority, maybe even having difficulties connecting to feelings inside of the self. It's stuck, for lack of a better word. It's a closed loop rather than a loop that has a space in it for something else to come in. As play therapists, we can be that space for these children. Even virtually, we can be that space for these children where they assert their will into the world and what we reflect back to them is themselves is their feelings. We provide a different kind of response than they're typically used to getting inside of their environment, what they typically might get as they're asserting their will into the world, which is an important thing, obviously, for all children to do. As we develop, we all need access and comfort with saying yes and saying no to different situations. But what happens when we reflect these children back to them is they can tap into something different. They no longer have to be defensive because we're genuinely not attacking them. And they may perceive us as, say, attacking them or get angry at us when we are reflecting their body states or reflecting their emotions. I've had a lot of these children in this space tell me to like shut up during a session or something like that. And I respect that when they do that because I have seen 
that when children are in this space and they're able to go through that process and not have anything from outside trying to be prevent them from going through it, when they receive a different response, which is a response of acceptance, they're able to tap into something else in the room. We provide that space, that pause for them, that same loop that they've been on where they've been stuck or even like possessed, for lack of a better word, is interrupted by what we provide, is interrupted by even coming to therapy, by having a different adult relationship, by not being caught in this pattern that they've been caught up in inside of themselves and inside of their family system or the school system or whatever other environments they're around, and that provides the opportunity for something different to come, and that different thing comes from them. There is a reintegration of the self. There is an opening to new emotions. When we see those new emotions, when we see the breaking down of that cycle, we can reflect those emotions. But regardless of whether we reflect them or not, that is happening inside of that child, and we don't actually have to witness or say those things in order for it to happen. It does help hold it. It does help make the relationship a little bit different. If we're able to, say, help them to live in what's happening and to get out of that cycle, but ultimately that's going to come from them. And what we do to create that is providing that positive acceptance by providing that different experience, by providing that space in this possession-esque loop that they've been caught up in. And we allow something different to emerge and that different thing emerges and then it can grow in them and then they can expand their will again and hopefully we, they can start to be in a process that is flowing, that is moving, that has this expansion and contraction rather than just this rigid expansion all the time. I used the word possession there and that may be kind of a weird word to use. Obviously, I think most people think of like evil spirits or things like that being caught up in someone when they're possessed. And I'm not trying to insinuate that that is what is happening, or I'm not trying to say that that's what is happening. And I also want to convey a word that really captures being caught inside of something and not having an easy way out of that thing you're caught in. And if possession feels really out of bounds and weird, I would invite you to consider that... We all have a relationship to possession, whether we've had anxious cycling thoughts about something or we're caught up in a pattern over and over again, like, well, we got to be successful or we got to be this or we got to be that and end up in the same kind of loops. Some people end up in similar partnerships throughout their life because they've been caught inside of some kind of possession. You could even be, say, feeling madly in love or infatuated with someone and feel possessed by that. We're, we all have a relationship to possession that takes us away from ourselves and... Children are no exception to that. On the other side of the possession loop, but it feels a little bit less like possession because it's less external, but we could still call it possession or at least a lack of cycling all the same is the child who is stuck on that internal part of the loop and is not externalizing their will into the world Children like this, in my experience, are often a little more withdrawn, a little more hypervigilant, can be focused, say, in my sessions with them on my evaluation of them, whether I like something, whether I don't like something, 
And even beyond that, just being very attentive with their eyes. It feels like they're very aware of how I'm doing and how I'm feeling and how I feel about them and how the session is going and all that kind of stuff that they are caught taking things in from their environment, either so that they can be in right relationship to it because they're anxious about it in some way, because they're afraid that something might happen if they're not in right relationship to it, and there's not this natural space inside of them for whatever is flowing in them, in their feelings, to evolve, that with all of the focus and attention on what is happening externally, that there's not attention and focus for them and flow with what is happening internally, that they're cut off from their own feelings because they are trying to fit in and be in line with what is going on outside of them, that they've lost their own, you know, to use fancy psychology words, internal locus of control. And play therapy also helps with that space, right? Like we're able to witness that child, to value that child, to have the attention placed on them, to have the attention placed on them being attentive to how we're doing. But with everything that we're saying and with everything that we're doing and with our focus, we're putting it back onto the child. And that allows them Because, say, we are the external figure and they're focused on us and we're focused on them. There's some flow in there I can feel or it introduces the idea of some flow. A lot of times children in this category, and I'm generalizing, so not everyone is going to fit into this system perfectly or even adequately. But if they're focused on us and they're focused on what we're feeling and what we're paying attention to, it's very common in my experience for the adults in this child's world, this child who is externally focused and not focused on their own experience, to validate, accept, and even celebrate the fact that this child is empathetic, that this child is zeroed in on other people's experience, that this child follows the rules and they probably do their homework and like all that kind of stuff. And... Perhaps they don't do that, right? Like if someone is really struggling, they're probably struggling to get those things done. That's ch- a child can be externally focused on those things and hypervigilant and still struggle internally or have eruptions of things come out of them that they're not in control over because they have so much repressed emotion inside of themselves that eventually it just bubbles up and that tension of being externally focused bubbles up and they just explode. Like, that's another side to that. But there is this side that's maybe a little bit more mild, where a child can receive some praise and validation for being tuned into what's happening in the world around them. Which is too bad, because that's not really serving them all that well. And how we interrupt that is that with them focused on us, and then us focused back on them, That when they're tapped into the external environment and the authority figures in their external environment, all they're receiving is focus back to them. And that can be maybe a little bit uncomfortable for them. At first, they could feel shy around us. We have to be careful, say, in how we do that. We're not trying to put a spotlight on them, necessarily. A spotlight that could be, you know, intimidating. But we are trying to provide gentle, accepting, focused, and supportive attention and witnessing that can allow that child the experience and the support in having a relationship to their internal world, or even just to know that what they feel is valuable, 
that even on an unconscious level, when they have feelings come up inside of them at this point, that they can respect those feelings, and they can move with those feelings, and they won't have this reactive, unconscious impulse to shut it down and get more nervous when they feel things and become more externally focused, and rather they can flow with their emotions and exert their will, and then they can breathe back in the world again, and then they can exert their will, and they can find some flow in their emotional respiration process. And again, what we've provided is a space for themselves and for that process to be interrupted, and a space for their will, and that when their emotions do come up inside of the room, that they're seen, that they're witnessed, that they're accepted, that they're reflected, and that there's space for them. As adults, when we get into emotional flows with things, we can maybe make it look a little bit more graceful if we're feeling integrated and grounded. For children, especially younger children, that process is a little bit more messy, that both the externalizing, exhaling, breathing into the world can be a little intense, especially when, as a person, they are getting comfortable with their no inside of themselves and learning their no inside of themselves in addition to having a yes and being accepting. And that inhalation process can also be challenging. There can be a lot of shame for some children around that if they've been reprimanded or if they feel they feel judged or they haven't done something right that that can be a really destabilizing process and as adults we can want to rescue them from that sometimes we can want to really reinforce some of those things sometimes we can have our own ideas about what their process should be or what their externalizing or internalizing should look like and i think i land pretty firmly in the boat that regardless of whatever else uh, anyone would do with a child in these situations that making a space for them to have their process, to have something different emerge, to inhale the world if they need to, or exhale themselves if they need to. That is the bedrock for developing flow inside of a person. And, uh, you know, as an adult myself and with other adults I know, we can all get locked into things sometimes and not be as receptive as we could be when we could use an interruption and are exhaling ourselves into the world, or we could not be as assertive as we could be, or that would serve us, or that would serve the people around us, and being able to have space and respect for what we feel in addition to what's going on in the world around us. But that flow is challenging for many of us to have, and I'm not going to sit here and say that I've got it figured out, but there is something there and when we're working with children or when people are around children having respect for their process knowing that they need to learn how to have a process for themselves and attempting to provide and facilitating a space or a container where they can have that process as opposed to trying to manipulate or control or stop a process that's happening inside of a child can really help to serve them in the long term, even though there are times when all of us would like to control the people around us. <laughs> but at the end of the day, that doesn't do them any good, and it doesn't do the world we live in much good either. And that's all I've got for this episode of Playtime. Thank you for listening. If you would like a copy of the COVID-19 book called 
I didn't get to say goodbye, which addresses grieving and children related to the pandemic that's happening currently, and especially for those children who have had someone pass and didn't get to say goodbye to them, uh, let me know. You can reach me at barnettchildtherapy at gmail.com. As always, rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. Tell a friend. It helps the show get more reach. And like I said, I could be uh, a little podcasted out this month, uh, working with a friend on a different podcast for a couple episodes, but I hope to release at least at least one more maybe two more before the end of may and maybe get back into the swing of things in june but until then uh stay safe stay healthy and i'll catch you next time